0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning to everyone in this room and online, wherever you're watching from. If we've never met before, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are finishing our series on the book of Colossians. And I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, But if not, uh, you know, we as a church are always happy to hear your complaints. Um, Simply email us at cfletcher.com at menlo.church. Again, that's Cheryl Fletcher. Happy to always receive that feedback. Uh, last week, we talked about our false selves and the reality that when uh, we live from our false selves, we are settling for something less. So instead of the fake, cr- uh, fake canyon, We have the Grand Canyon. Instead of scraps and slop, we have barbecue feast. Now, uh, Mark Swarner, our campus pastor here at Menlo Park, uh, actually pointed out the irony that tomorrow is National False Self Day. Uh, We don't call it that, but think about it. This is a day when we literally clothe ourselves with something other than our true identity. I have a picture of one of my kids wearing his false self. That's right. And I like he's such his false self. I don't even know if that's actually my kid or not. Uh, we will reward him for hiding his true self by giving him bags of candy tomorrow. So uh, that's a big deal. Uh, but let's ignore Halloween for a second. We focus today on our true identity. Paul says this, there's no longer Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And then later he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, Identity. What do you identify as? It's a difficult conversation because identity is a layered thing. We all have many layers of identities. Uh, Sometimes we identify ourselves by our activities. Uh, Some of you are CrossFitters, and you're kind of insane uh, because you love burpees and pull-ups. And I think you're concerned about my physical health because you're always inviting me to your classes. Some of you identify as surfers. You're always shredding the gnar, seeing how the waves are breaking, right? Others of you, you identify as a runner. I've tried multiple times to make this one of my identities, but then I talk with one of you and you say, uh, I just did a short uh, run today, a short eight miler. Eight miles is the total of what I've ran this year. I'm not a runner. Uh, others of you, you, we identify by our interest, right? Sports being one of the major ones. Do you ever think about this? We wear the names of our teams on our clothes to make sure everyone knows who we belong to. Uh, some of you identify as a nerd. Uh, you know, that's popular in the Bay Area. Uh, Star Wars nerds would be an example of this. Actually, one of our staff members, our very own, Pastor Keith Riley clothed himself in a Star Wars costume and ran a half marathon. Look at that. What a massive nerd he is. (laughs) And he's an obsessive runner, multiple layers of identity. Uh, Some of our primary identities uh, come from our race or our ethnicity, especially uh, if your ethnicity has faced deep oppression or injustice. This can become a deep part of your story. A common discussion in our culture in this day is uh, how you identify uh, when it comes to gender or sexuality. And then maybe one of the biggest ones of all is our jobs. What do we say when we meet somebody? We say, I am a pastor. I am a software engineer. I am a designer. Uh, With so many layers, the question is, what is at the core by the way, if you see me crying at any point, it's not the onion, I'm being moved by the Holy Spirit, okay? But yeah, what is at the core of all these layers? What is our true identity? And Paul is clear here. Scripture is clear. For those of us who are followers or apprentices of Jesus, our core identity is Christ, Above all, it's his name we live for. Our new name goes above and beyond our other identities. They may be important pieces of our lives, but we are no longer uh, Greek or Jewish or 49ers fans or Americans or engineers. We are his. But the question is, what does that actually mean? What does it look like for someone to live from this true identity and live for his name. Last week, I saw an article about an extreme right wing uh, gathering. And they began their time with prayer and they said the phrase, In the name of Jesus. And not long after that, I saw an extreme left wing group and they also prayed. And they said the phrase, In the name of Jesus. Which is interesting because these groups seem to hate each other. Uh, The rhetoric is filled with vitriol and anger and fear. Is this what it means to do things in the name of Jesus? In the 1500s, a group of Christians started having different interpretations and theology and started calling for reform. And this at the time was deemed heresy. So many of these people were killed by other Christians in the name of Jesus. Hundreds of years before that, Christians went to war for Jesus, crusading into Jerusalem and killing tens of thousands of Jews and Muslims. In this time period, Christians were known for their violence. Is this what it means to live for Jesus? See, we have a problem If you're like me, many of your friends and your peers are becoming less and less interested in church and the Christian faith. And one of the main reasons is they're confused and turned off by those who claim to live for the name of Jesus. And this is why the passage we're going to look at today is one of the most important passages for us in this time. Paul addresses what I think is one of the core issues we face. And if we could grasp this and live out this truth, I honestly believe believe people would be compelled and drawn to Jesus. Your life in this movement would be undeniable. Our relationships would change. The way we approach our job would change. Life would be filled with more meaning and hope and joy. So, Today is an invitation to live into your truest self and identity. So let's look at these words together in Colossians chapter 3. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. So quick pause here Uh, in this list of virtues. What makes this list unique by Paul? Uh, There are a lot of virtues that are important, like courage and self-control and perseverance and wisdom. But he doesn't mention these. What, What makes this list unique? They're all about how we relate to one another. They're about our relationships. Let's continue. He says, above all, which is a way of saying at the core, the most important thing, not beside or under, but at the top, the most important thing, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So here it is. This is what it looks like to live in our truest self, our core identity. To live in his name is to live in love. To live in his name is to live in love. What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to live their truest self? Love, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness. Robert Mulholland says this. The place where we live out our relationship of loving union with God is not in the quiet of our prayer closet, although that's important, but in our relationships with one another. Here's where we put to death the manipula- manip- manipulative, coercive, controlling dynamics of the false self. Here's where we abandon the dehumanizing and abusive dynamics of the false self. We love others. So Paul continues to talk about this topic and he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in wisdom and gratitude. In your heart, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, And word, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he finishes with this catch-all phrase, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Now, this was my favorite verse as a teenager. Uh, I actually wrote it on my baseball glove, and this is my high school baseball glove. I still have written here, Colossians 3.17. And uh, speaking of baseball, I, I hate to, to brag here uh, because I'm really good at humility, uh, but I was pretty good. Uh, I, I'm positive I could have gone pro and been a millionaire star, but out of se- selfless, selfless, sacrificial love, uh, I, I turned that dream down to be a humble holy pastor. So you're welcome. Uh, but I, ro- I wrote on this glove... This verse as a way to remember that every throw or catch uh, was a moment where I could honor and I could glorify Jesus in his name. And this was a solid interpretation. It was very helpful for me. But another way to think about this verse comes from 1 1 John 4.16, which says this, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So if God is love, another way to word this scripture would be, whatever you do, do it in the name of love. And this helps clarify our actions, because often when we do things in the name of Jesus, we mix in our own agendas, our own uh, identities, political views, my own theological persuasions or my preferences. But when we do things in the name of love, we can ask ourselves, in this moment, is what I'm doing filled with compassion and kindness and patience? If not, maybe I'm doing this in my name and not the name of Jesus, because to live in his name is to live in love. But there's some major barriers for us uh, in, in embracing this true identity and living in love. The first barrier is this, Uh, every single person believes in love in theory, in theory. I'm sure some of you, even when I heard, you heard the word love in a sermon, uh, you were like, uh, got it, love, 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 duh, of course, let's get on to the donuts and the 49ers game. Um, Everyone agrees with love in theory, but what kind of love are we talking about? Years ago, uh, there was this infamous commercial about pet adoption. Some of you will remember this. Uh, It displayed these clips of the saddest dogs and cats. And Sarah McLaughlin would come on, and she'd start singing, in the arms of an angel, may you fly from here. And I would be watching, and I would just say, oh my gosh. I'm going to adopt 18 dogs. I'm going to feed them steak every night. They're going to sleep in my bed. I'm going to love them. Uh, But then the commercial would end. The game would start again. And I would think to myself, you know what? I already have a dog and I have three kids and they've got their own potty training issues. Maybe I don't need 18 dogs. Uh, This is sentimental love. We are sentimental people who love in theory. Maybe you cry during every episode of This Is Us, uh, caring for the characters with compassion, but you have a hard time caring about the people in your actual life. Or how about this? Many of us are really good at posting on social media when we're moved by injustices, but in our everyday life, we don't take any action. Or we love the down and out and broken and poor and dirty as long as it's from a distance. It's easy to love in theory. It's easy to have sentimental love. But love is not a theoretical concept. It's an action word. It's a relational word. Love doesn't happen from distance. It happens in our nearest context. Eugene Peterson says this. Love is the most context specific act in the entire spectrum of human behavior. There's no other single human act more dependent on and immersed in immediate context. So to live in love is hard because it's easy to love someone from a third world country dealing with poverty on a screen. But it's hard to love Diane at work who won't stop talking while I'm working on my sermon and brings tuna for lunch and stinks up the office and always chews gum with their mouth open. It's hard to love Diane. <laughs> the easiest way to find out if we're living in the name of love is to look at those in our immediate context our spouse, our kids, our coworkers, our parents, our peers, our neighbors, the person experiencing homelessness outside of Safeway. Our friends who disagree with us politically. Are these relationships clothed with compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness? So some questions for us to think about. Is there a relationship in your life that is built on your own agenda, not on the love of Jesus? Another question. Would the people in your immediate context say that you are clothed with compassion, kindness, and humility? What would it look like to not just love in theory, but to love in practice? So another barrier to living in the name of love is, is seeing beyond layers and labels. Uh, because we all have these layers of identities, it's hard to see beyond and to the heart's of others. Uh, I've got this weird Oklahoma-California paradox uh, going on. I'm from Oklahoma originally, but I've lived in California eight years now. Uh, So when I uh, talk to a Californian, they find out that I'm from Oklahoma, uh, they will inevitably ask me a question like this, how did you get to school every day? Did you ride a horse? (laughs) I'm like, no, we actually have automobiles now, it's really nice. Or they'll ask, uh, you must be a huge country music fan. No, I'm not at all. Or they'll say, what was it like to be in a tornado? Must be scary. (laughs) I'm sure it's terrifying. I've never been in one. But then when uh, an Oklahoman finds out I'm a Californian, they will say questions like this. Isn't it scary to be around all those earthquakes? Yes, that's why I wear a hard hat to work every day. I'm so scared of them. Or they'll say, after work every day, I'm assuming you go surfing. (laughs) No. (laughs) Or you must be a health nut, a vegan, or a hippie, right? These are silly examples, but we do this, right? We make assumptions and judgments based on ethnicities, origins, and preferences, and viewpoints, instead of seeing farther down to the core of a person. But what do we see from Jesus? One of the things he often got in trouble for was his refusal to view people in the common societal standards and labels. He saw beyond the label of prostitute, or the assumptions of a tax collector, or the stereotypes of the unclean. He associated with the irreligious and the religious, the poor and the rich, the Romans and the Jews. As God in the flesh, Jesus knew the reality that every human is created in the image of God. Every human is an immortal being beyond the labels and the layers. C.S. Lewis says it like this, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as a life of a gnat." But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. How would our actions change if we recognize that our barista or our neighbor or our Muslim friend or the annoying soccer parent or the bully at school, each one is an immortal soul, not just a label? What if we saw them for the beautiful, sacred creation that they are? Maybe this would cause us to take off our own layers and labels and love fully, even if they are our enemies or they belittle us, or even if they don't love us back. Because, of course, this was the reality of Jesus, right? He was belittled, mocked, and eventually killed and the cross. The cross is where it all comes back to. When we wonder about our truest self, our true identity, what it looks to live, uh, what it looks like to live in his name, the difference between sentimental love or true love, we go back to the cross and we see this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And Paul, over and over again, has been using this language of a taking off and a putting on. Before the cross, uh, Jesus was in a room with his disciples, and he took off his outer garment. And what did he put on? A towel. He clothed himself with a garment of service and sacrifice. He came not to be served, but to serve. He humbled himself to the point of death. And he called his followers to live in this same sacrificial love. And During the early days of the church, uh, several epidemics and plagues swept through. The common behavior during this day was to push the sick and the suffering away, to throw them on the road uh, before they were dead, to stop the spread of disease. But there was this small band of little Christ who did the opposite. An early church author, Dionysius, said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. Tertullian, another Christian author, said, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of Of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. Can you imagine if that's what people said about Christians in our day? Did you know the the first public hospital came about uh, from followers of Christ with the vision to create communities that cared for the sick? At the Council of Nyssa, Christians decreed that whenever a cathedral existed, there must also be a hospice place for caring for the sick and poor in the name of Jesus. Years later, Jean Doanot, a follower of Jesus, couldn't stand the sound of soldiers crying uh, in the battlefield after being wounded. So he devoted his life to helping them uh, in the name of Jesus. And he started an organization that would eventually be called the Red Cross. Years after that, during the Holocaust, a small Protestant village in France, led by a Presbyterian minister, provided refuge for more than 5,000 people fleeing Nazi persecution. The entire village was involved in this mission. When a Nazi uh, tried to organize a Hitler youth camp, one of the kids told him, make no distinction between Jews and non-Jews. It is contrary to gospel teaching." Years after that, a five-year-old girl named Kashi was abducted and for 10 years forced to be a slave and perform sexual acts for 20 men a day. But one day when she was 15, a group of social workers showed up from an organization called IJM to rescue her and set her free. IJM was started by a Christian lawyer longing to bring justice in the name of Jesus. 2006, in an Amish Christian community, five young girls were killed by gunmen, many more badly injured. The mom of the gunman, of course, in shock and in horror, was planning to move away from the community. But in the middle of the night, several Amish folks, in the name of Jesus, came to her house to offer forgiveness. And they told her to stay. And some of the Amish families of the victims even attended her son's funeral, the murder, And the mom says this, for the mother and father who had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Is there anything in this life that we should not forgive? And now this mother, every Thursday, cares for one of the most seriously wounded girls of the shooting, who's, who's now 13. Throughout history, story after story of sacrificial love, this is us. This is our true self. This is our core identity. And our world is searching. They're desperate, not for banging gongs or clanging cymbals or theological stances or people who have it all together. They're looking for love. So, because our master took off his outer garments and put on a towel, may we take off our false self and agendas and clothe ourselves with love. Because he sees beyond into our hearts and souls, may we look beyond the layers and labels of others and see the image of God in them. Because of his act of love on the cross, may we go beyond sentimental love and put our love into practice. May we live in his name by living in his love. Let's pray together. Jesus, we remember what you have done for us. We think upon the cross. We think upon your sacrificial love how you came down humbling yourself for those of us who didn't deserve it. And now Jesus, as your followers, we're asking that you would teach us. Would you teach us to be the kind of people in our immediate context, the people right around us, everywhere we go, that we would share this sacrificial love. Show us what it means to take off our agendas, and put on a towel to live in your love. So we thank you for these moments uh, to remember this call, and we ask that you would guide us, give us the strength this week as we put it into practice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.